Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, it's your host, Megan Strand. Just a quick note about today's episode. This conversation was recorded prior to the COVID-19 outbreak, so we don't touch upon the pandemic in this particular conversation. However, moving forward, we've adjusted our line of questions, so you will be hearing from CBOs about this important topic in future shows. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and I'm very excited to be joined today by Susan Allen, Vice President for Finance and Administration at Georgia College and State University. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Megan. I'm glad I could join you. Well, we're going to jump right in here today, and I'm going to ask you kind of a big question, but I, hopefully it'll set the stage for some other really interesting answers that I'm sure you'll have today. Can you tell our listeners what issue you think will most impact the way colleges and universities conduct business in the next 10 years? Megan, that is a big question. Uh, I know. I don't think we can say it's one driving force, but I think there are several large driving forces and the culmination of those coming together, you know, at the same time could certainly change the direction of the business models that we see in the industry and how it's actually uh, being delivered. And, and, you know, those three things I think are centered around the cost of higher education um, and societal uh, perceptions around the value of the higher education. The other uh, big force that I see are demographic shifts. Um, and that will certainly gain a lot of um, attention and a, a lot more movement over the next 10 years from what I'm reading and hearing. Um, and then, of course, that third uh, driving force has been around for the last 10 years is one of the probably the most pivotal or one of the most important forces in, to the industry. And that's technology. But I think there's still a lot that it's going to um play in the future as far as how we deliver, whether it's in the classroom or in the workforce. As you know, the last 10 years, higher education has outpaced average uh, inflation two to three times. Only The only other industry that has surpassed has really been healthcare. And so, you know, society quite naturally um, would be concerned about the, the cost of higher education. And for public institutions, of course, that um, the state funding and the pullback in most all states over the last 10 years since the, um, the downturn in 2008 has really put a lot of pressure on increasing the tuition um, in the states and, and the higher cost to the students. Um, the, the students coming in, the amenities, the expectations there, the rising cost um, of what they're looking for and what they're wanting and then what their needs are. Uh, so the costs just keep rising and, um, and, and the revenue streams really haven't changed or the types of revenue streams over the years. It's just shifting as to who's paying for it in a lot of cases and how it's being paid for. The rising cost in employee benefits. Here again, the health care has exceeded the um, 
higher ed as far as rising costs. And, and that's had a big impact for institutions paying for benefit costs. The compliance regulations just continue to be compounded with this very complex environment that we continue to evolve around. So hiring at the, the administrative level, I know a lot, you know, there's per- perception of administrative bloat, um, but it's really just trying to keep up with the demands of, of what's being asked of the industry at large. And then the the population in itself and, and the need for more marketing and branding and competition. I think there's more than 5,000 higher education institutions now within the, within the United States. And that's a lot. Um, and, and, you know, we'll keep adding more and more, whether it be profit or nonprofit. But it is meeting uh, the society needs and what they're looking for. As far as the demographic shifts, there's so much going on there um, and has been for quite some time. But I, th- I think the, uh, the biggest factor that, that we'll see is that high school graduation pipeline. We're already starting to see that in a lot of states. I know for Georgia, um, we're expecting a, a 13% decline starting from 2025 and, and probably peaking out in 3031. And that is significant. Um, that's the size of a, a small or mid-sized institution. So the demographic shifts and the type of students coming in are also going to change um, the face of higher institution and, and the industry and, and what we do. Uh, we're getting a lot more first-generation students. That po- population will continue to grow as part of the pipeline in addition to adult learners and the need for um, that education for adult learners. That will continue to grow. And these support services require different things um, and, and different expenses and, and new costs. So demographics will will be a probably the most important factor moving forward because it it really affects private and public. So the the student population. So it will probably be the biggest driver in um, the industry. But of course, the other all these factors coming together will actually work together to to move what the industry looks like in the future. Technology, uh, like I said, you know that has really. For the last 20 years, nothing has moved higher ed more profoundly than technology. And we see that in curriculum delivery more and more online and hybrid is being requested. We see that nationally, internationally, and it has really made us more of a a global industry. Um, We'll see more of that, but we'll also start to see a lot of artificial intelligence and see that infused. And that creates additional cost. Movement in these directions will require, I mean, we'll continue to see costs rise. So it'll require some thinking outside the box of what do we do to, to meet these changing needs? Um, what new revenue streams can we start to generate to be able to support these new costs? Because quite often, even though we want to uh, eliminate those costs that may be obsolete or are not as important as the new challenges that are, that are coming on the horizon, um, the new revenue stream generation is going to be critical. So just a few things going on right now. It's moving very fast, faster <laughs> than I've ever seen it move. And I've been in the, the industry for 29 years now. So yeah, it's moving very fast. And you've got to keep up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of leads into my next question, Susan. How do you think current CBOs can best prepare or develop the next generation of higher education leadership, considering everything that you've just talked about, um, and then also considering uh, an increasing desire to diversify the field and leadership? 
Well, you know, I think it's important to create mentorship and training pathways um, for anybody that may be interested and that has the aptitude. Um, recognize and encourage those that may not feel that they have the potential, but you can see it in them. So um, start building on strengths and start start at all levels. I mean, um, young people need to be encouraged and and to have somebody have shoulders to stand on to help build them up and to see what their future may look like. So um, really help encourage in, in that way anybody that you may see that may have potential or may be interested in, and help them find the pathways that they need to gain the knowledge base that help them be successful in the um, profession. I would recommend for, for anybody that's interested in the CBO role to seek out opportunities to better understand the profession. It's so diverse and complex as to what most of us do. Um, and just jump in and, and try new things. Failures. Don't be, don't be, don't be afraid to, to fail. Use it as a stepping stone to start your professional journey and just be resilient. Stay the course. If it's something you really want to do, you can do it. Um, just make sure you learn as much as you possibly can. Look for those that, that inspire you and, and follow them, whether it be through reading their materials or look for leaders that you want to emulate that you think are good leaders and, and seek out ways to grow yourself in that arena. CBOs by far are more leadership than they are probably technical, I would say. Um, so it's critical that you understand the leadership uh, piece of it. And, and just, I'd say, I'd I'd want to be honest about the complexity and the demanding pressures of this position. You are accountable and you've got to hold yourself accountable. You wear many hats. So be very aware of yourself, what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are. Um, continue to build on your strengths, but surround yourself with a, a diversified team that can help with those areas where that you may be weak in because we wear so many hats in most cases that you can't be expert in everything. So make sure that you develop a strong, diverse team around you that can help support and move um, your particular institution forward. And be inspiring, be inspiring to anybody that, that is interested. Um, create a positive reflection on the profession to help them understand. It's very rewarding. It's challenging, but it, it's, it's very rewarding at the end of the day as to what you can do for others, um, particularly students in creating um, and helping to find a, a way for them to create a life that, that will make them happy. Always build a good, strong team around you. Like I said, a diverse team. Be sure to empower them. Um, support them with all the training and the educational and the tools they need to be successful at all levels. Look for positive attitudes when you're building teams because it's quite easy to teach the technical skills and, and things that we need to do and that, that move very quickly and change very quickly in our profession. Um, but the, the positive attitudes and the, the ability to be on a team and work on a team and, and just move things forward collectively is important as you start to look at building your team. There, there's a quote out there by um, Hans Hansen that say, people inspire you or they drain you, so pick them wisely. I love that quote. Um, so teams are important and diverse teams are extremely important. We live in a global society. Higher education is global. You need that 
diverse mindset on the team to get the richness um, and collective viewpoints of of what you're trying to achieve in decision making and moving things forward. And if you've got a team that they all think alike and and you get stagnated, you can't really see the big picture as you should. So I strongly urge anybody as you start to build teams, you have the better teams when you have the, the most diverse team people around you. Let's talk now not only to our listeners who already are CBOs, but also to any listeners who might be considering that role as their next career move. Susan, what would you say are the top three skills or attributes that are most critical for CBOs in today's higher ed landscape? The technical financial acumen, of course, is a must. But I think the most critical skills are probably the soft skills and strong, strong leadership skills. The technical and financial acumen, you know, that's, you know, you need to have a deep understanding of, of the institution you're serving. You need to have a deep understanding and of uh, GASB or FASB, whatever, you know, governing board is associated with your particular institution. And you need to have a good uh, financial education based yourself. So just staying on top of, of the, the technical um, world that, that we w- live in and that's constantly changing as far as compliance and upgrades, but understanding it so that when you see something, you'll know if something doesn't look right. You'll understand what you're, what you're trying to manage. Soft skills. This is probably going to be your most critical, no matter what level you know, you're at, what size institution. Um, you've got to have those strong communication skills. You've got to be able to, to write well, to speak well, and, and most importantly, to listen, to be collaborative and, and to listen to others. You've got to be able to be nimble and flexible and move quickly. I mean, this like we talked about before, this industry is moving so fast that you've got to be able to, to um, keep up with it or get left behind. I think the most critical for, for our job, though, is to critically think. Think about next steps. It's not, it's not going to be on Google. You're not going to be able to find it. You can talk to, to colleagues and network, and that's always helpful. But, you know, we have so many unique situations that you need to be able to critically think through the situation at hand for you and be able to make the most informed decision that you possibly can. It's important today in today's society that just the ability to be able to handle ambiguity. You know, we have policy and guidelines, but a lot of the times it's nebulous. There are gray areas and you, you really need to be able to critically think and to work through any a- ambiguity that may be um, put in front of you um, in order to be progressive. Don't, don't let it paralyze you, for sure. Lastly, of course, leadership. Leadership and your management skills. skills. You absolutely have to be uh, have the ability to lead progressive institutional initiatives and changes. Um, and you need to understand the strategy and the vision and, and, and the difference between leadership and management skills. And they're both very important. And know when to lead, know when to follow. The ability to, to lead and inspire product, productive, diverse teams, that is so critical. So, you know, those, those are the top three, the technical financial acumen, the soft skills and the leadership management skills. 
Do you have any stories that stand out to you when you think about how maybe you developed some of those skills over the course of your career? I'm thinking in particular some of the soft skills, probably the technical skills might be a little bit more obvious in terms of how you might have acquired those, but um, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of those soft skills. Well, yeah, yeah. The soft skills and sort of going hand in hand with the leadership management skills. And the communication was probably a big piece for me because, um, you know, a lot of people in, 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 in our profession are introverts. So it's, it's sometimes hard to, to get to put yourself out there and be a bold extrovert, but you have to, you have to learn to make sure that you communicate well with people. But um, yes, as more and more responsibility as I was going through my leadership journey, and more and more people were coming and, and looking to me for guidance and as to next steps. Um, and it could be technical or just how to manage people. It dawned on me, I need to be the best that I can be for these people because I, I'm lacking something. You know, I've got I've got the management skills, no doubt in my mind. I can I can execute, I can make things happen. <laughs> I'm action oriented, as most people in my profession are. And and leadership's all about people. How can I be the best for them to make sure I actually give them what they need in order for them to be as successful as they possibly can? So I began, I began taking, um, reading every leadership book that I possibly could, getting different perspectives, and then also taking as many leadership training classes as I could, and just any avenue that spoke about leadership, I tried to get involved in it and be a part of it, um, seek certifications in it, um, just to try, try to really understand the difference between leadership and management and how it is critical and how the leadership piece is all about leading people, inspiring people, giving, helping people find the best in themselves. That was really a, a, a journey for me and a pivot, very pivotal moment when I realized there is a big difference in leadership and management. So um, that was just sort of fun thing to learn along the way. All right. Now I'm going to ask you the most fun question of the show that everybody loves to answer. So thinking back on your time as a CBO, Susan, can you tell us what you consider to be either your most fabulous failure or just a lesson learned the hard way? <laughs> um, and maybe what that situation was, what you learned. Fabulous failure. Okay. Um, it's probably taking on too many direct reports. And, you know, sometimes you get stuck in that position. But at one point I had 10, 11 direct reports over very uh, large areas. I think I failed them. I failed them in the leadership. I didn't give them the time that they needed to help them understand the bigger picture or I could have done it better and help them build strategic plans to be a little more progressive. So lesson learned. Um, I think you can try not to, I, you know, I think the perfect number is probably five or six and you can really um, work with a team that size as far as direct leadership. Um, so I think that was my most fabulous failure was taking on too many and, and not correcting the issue quick enough. That's a great example. Thank you so much. Well, and I really appreciate your time today, Susan. Thank you so much for sharing just a few of your insights and experience with our listeners today. Well, thank you, Megan. I, I've certainly enjoyed it. 
You can find out more about Susan and today's episode by visiting the education section, then click podcasts of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and Apple Podcasts so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Susan and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. Oh,